0: Welcome back to Parashat B'Chukotai. My name is Ariel Ben Laiman Hanavi. And this is the final commentary to the book of Leviticus. And with today's commentary, we will finish our study to the book of Leviticus. And we are poised to continue our study and our journey through the five books of Moshe. Uh, we will start with the Parashat Bemidbar, the uh, commentary to the book of Numbers next week. And so I, uh, I encourage you to continue pressing through. You're almost done. Um, uh, we're almost finished, and then uh, as soon as we're finished reading through the book of Deuteronomy, I encourage you to turn your Bible back around again and start reading Deuteronomy, or start reading uh, Genesis. With that, let's pick up our discussion about the uh, Torah, the Hukotai. The um, Hukotai means by my regulations or by my commandments or by my statutes. And the reason we're talking about the Torah today is because um, this whole notion within Judaism that God rewards obedience and that God punishes disobedience is something that is well entrenched within Jewish history. However, it seems to be um, misunderstood within Christian circles. That is to say, God gave his Torah to be walked out. Judaism understands this, but unfortunately Judaism misunderstands the true intents of the Torah by manufacturing a prevailing halakha that somehow taught that if I'm Jewish, I will be accepted in God's eyes. That is to say, I will gain covenant status, covenant membership, a place in the world to come, a.k.a. heaven. Historically, the Christian church, seeking to defend the correct view of Torah relevance, sought to jettison Torah altogether once faith in the Messiah is achieved and unfortunately that also ends up misunderstanding the true intent and purposes of God's Torah that is to say christianity today has manufactured a teaching for the last 2000 years or so that says that once a believer or once a person uh, matriculates to faith in Jesus the Torah as outlined by Moshe from Genesis through Deuteronomy bears no immediate relevance to the believer. This does not mean that the Christian is free to steal and to destroy and to, to covet and to lust and to generally do whatever he wants to do. That's not what I mean. But well, what it does seem to mean is that the Christian has no responsibility to say mm, Sabbath or the dietary issues or the other um, cal- calendrical uh, days that we encounter in the Torah, Leviticus chapter 23. And so what ends up happening is the prevailing Christian theology leads its followers away from the earmarks of Torah observance. That is to say, again, the, the visible badges uh, that a community should um, wear as they seek to be identified by God. Sabbath-keeping, kosher-keeping, wearing tzitzit, a a general regard for God's words and God's ways. Christianity has inherited a a tradition that seeks to jettison these markers in favor of other markers, and in doing so has distanced themselves unwittingly or knowingly from the Jewish community of which they really should be a, a part. So, Challenges on both sides of the fence. If you're Jewish and you're secular and you're just now embracing this idea of Yeshua, your brand new baby Jew and Messiah, um, this idea of of Jesus as being the central feature of the Torah is going to be a little new to you. I encourage you to keep pressing in, praying, availing yourself of the power and, and, and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, and by all means, read your Bible. To you Christians who are a little new to this Hebraic walk, um, I don't have all the answers, but I'm sure God does. And so, again, my, my advice to you is the same. Continue to pray, continue to avail yourself of the power of the Spirit, and by all means, read your Bible. So let's um, now turn to my final discussion in my commentary. We're in the middle of page 9, and this section is entitled Our Relationship to the Covenants. Okay? We introduced in Part C, uh, just very briefly, um, this idea of the Abrahamic Covenant and the idea of the Mosaic Covenant, And in the introduction, what I'm trying to see is that the Abrahamic Covenant sets the paradigm for what we call justification or forensic righteousness, a.k.a. salvation. Conversely, and or comparatively, not in direct opposition to, but uh, uh, working in tandem, the Mosaic Covenant sets the paradigm for sanctification or behavioral righteousness, a.k.a. um, um, uh, obedience. So, uh, let's go in that direction now. The following explanation that I'm going to share with you is meant to serve as a primer to the individual search to become what I call Torah Observant, or Shomer Mitzvot. And it's not meant to be an exhaustive definition on the subject. Rather, it is simply an introduction to a series of teachings in this area. To be sure, this Torah teacher is not the subject matter expert. However, the following Midrash, this teaching example, should enlighten the average believer. And I'm pretty sure my friends at FFOZ have made me familiar with the following example. I have, however, modified it somewhat because I can't remember exactly where I got this. I believe it is from FFOZ's teaching. Now, are you ready? I love this midrash, so just hang on. This is going to be a fun one. Most new automobiles come with two important pieces of literature. And those are an owner's manual and a set of registration papers. At least for my example, I'm going to single out those two. I know there's possibly more, but just stick with me. The first of these is free with the purchase of the car. The owner's manual, it comes free. You don't have to buy it. You buy the car, you get the owner's manual. That's the point. The latter, the registration papers, however, are not free. They are obtained legally by the purchaser. Uh, in the event of a traffic altercation, such as an accident or speeding or something like that, the driver of the vehicle is required to produce the proof of registration, among other things, such as your license, to the policeman who's stopping you and making the report. Right? You look in your mirror, you see the flashing blue and the red, your heart starts racing, and you start reaching for your what? your license, your registration, your proof of insurance. You start looking for these things. And you know what? Failure to do so will have serious repercussions on your part as this information vitally links you to the ownership of the car and to proper registration and proper insurance of the vehicle and and, and things like that. Obviously, in my example, besides the license and the insurance, obviously the registration paper is extremely important. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, keep that in mind. Set it aside for a second, and let's keep going. On a similar vein, let's bring in a different example now. Let's suppose we're out and about on a long trip, or if you're from Canada, you're out in a boat, and, <laughs> and you're out and about on a hot summer day, uh, and let's say it's without the use of the air conditioner, and you think, well, gosh, why would I be without the air conditioner? Maybe it's broke, maybe you don't know how to work it. And let's say um, it's a hot day, let's say that the region is humid. We're talking uncomfort, right? I mean, you're, you're going to be hot. You're going to roll down the windows, but in some places the humidity is so great that even if you roll down the windows, I, I know, because uh, I lived in the South. I lived in Alabama for two and a half years when I was in the military. And gosh, it was so hot down there. And since I was so close to the ocean, it was so humid, that even if I rolled down the windows, it, it was, in some cases it was even worse because the humidity coming in from the outside uh, was just overwhelming. It just hits you like a, like a ton of bricks. So this is the situation I'm describing, right? Let's say you're driving, and all of a sudden, bang, a flat tire happens. Boy, this is double disaster, right? It's hot and now you got a flat tire. So it's 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 just, you know, one disaster right after another. Now, remember this is a new car. You just bought this car. And because it's a new car, let's say you're unfamiliar with the climate controls. You know, some of these cars got such fancy uh, climate controls, you know, GPS system and all that mess. And you can't figure out, you know, you can't figure out anything. It's like, a, it's like the, the, the the console on, on the Star Trek Enterprise. You know, you're trying to figure out which button to push to make the thing work. And so the heat is unbearable. You've got a flat tire and you're just cursing. Well, I hope you're not cursing. But anyway, let's say that you're ignorant when it comes to changing a flat tire as well. You know, first you can't stand the heat, then bang, you get a flat tire, and now you're thinking to yourself, Oy vey, I don't know how to change a flat either. All right, double disaster. Where does the driver turn for assistance? I mean, what do you do? Well, fortunately, the owner's manual covers such topics as climate controls, changing a flat, oil pressure, engine maintenance. In fact, some owner's manuals these days even talk about radio features. And if you got one of those fancy cars with GPS, I, I imagine that's probably in there too. So, you get my point. The owner's manual proves to be a very valuable tool in providing both comfort and peace of mind in this situation. You following me so far? Okay, now that we've got these, this example in our mind, we've got the cop who pulls us over and you pull out your registration papers on one hand. And then you've got this example where you're, where you're out and about on a hot summer day and you get a flat tire on the one hand. Okay, you've got these two examples in mind. Let's draw some um, practical application. On the top of page 10, this next section is entitled Conclusions. All right? the, t- the matter of Torah observance, which is what we're talking about. All right? The matter of Torah observance is made clear. When one understands the relationship that he or she has to the covenants. All right? I keep mentioning the covenants. The Torah spells out at least two very important covenants. It spells out more, but I'm just limiting my study to these two. It spells out two very important covenants in the life of a follower of Hashem. Okay, There is the Avrahamic covenant, that's with Abraham. And then there's the Mosheic covenant, the one with Moses. Mosheic, Mosaic. Or Abrahamic, right? So we got these two covenants. Now the Abrahamic covenant serves to represent the registration papers in our above example, okay? The cop pulls you over and he wants to see your registration papers. That's the Abrahamic covenant, alright? How so? Well, prior to coming to faith in Messiah, the Torah served as a reminder of sin. Oh yeah. Every Jewish person who was raised in an observant home understands this concept. And many Christians are not unfamiliar with it either. You can read Romans chapter 7, verses 7-12 through 12 to see how Paul explains it. The Torah serves as a reminder of sin, especially since we are sinners. Now, this is not the only function of the Torah, but it is a primary one, especially when you have not yet placed your faith in Yeshua. Okay? The Torah just reminds you of, of, of your sinful status. But after coming into a relationship with Hashem through His Son Yeshua, the person undergoes a change in... The relationship to the Torah. How so? Well, the Abrahamic covenant becomes for this person a promise of inheritance. You see how that works? Your relationship to the Torah changes. Therefore, the stipulations of the Torah change for you. I'm not saying the Torah changes. The change takes place in you. So your relationship to the Torah changes. And so suddenly, instead of the Torah just pointing out how sinful you are, the Torah now outlines the promises that are given to you because you are a new child of God. So you've got this promise of inheritance. And so you're scratching your head right now and you're asking, An inheritance of what? What do I what do I inherit what do I inherit? What do I get? Well, the Avrahamic covenant is a paradigm of the inheritance of eternal life through trusting faithfulness. It's that simple. We inherit the righteousness of God, a.k.a. eternal life, because of placing our faith in the finished work of Yeshua. And, of course, this is all wrapped up in the package called grace. Now, um, this um, uh, paperwork... That we were describing in the story, where the cop comes and wants to see your license and your insurance and your proof of uh, your proof of insurance and your, your proof of ownership. This paperwork is a legally binding agreement. The 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 um, the uh, registration papers. It's a legally binding agreement between you and the the bank. I should say that says that that this car is yours. That is to say. You're making payments on it, and therefore you are the owner of the car, even though technically, I know someone are some are saying, "Well, Ariel, really, the bank owns the car until you pay it off." But but we could just as easily say that you own the car. Okay, it's paid off. You still have a proof of registration, All right? Still, you still have that paperwork. All right, this proof of registration or whatever is proof of ownership, so to say. All right, the cop wants to know: Did you steal the car? Are you borrowing the car? What's going on? And that's why he wants to see. The uh, the, uh, the registration papers, okay? The car is registered to whom? All right, is it registered to someone that I don't know, and then I'm going to get in trouble, or is it registered to maybe to my father, or my mother, or a brother, a family member, in which I'm going to be okay? So it's proof of ownership, so to say. All right. Now um, the Torah, in this sense, is like the proof of ownership. It's a written document that spells out that because you have placed your faith in Jesus, that God is obligated reward you with eternal life it's a legally binding agreement between God and you and between you and God it's proof of ownership okay? the Torah spells out the details of your faith and the details of God's reward to you now the Torah still reminds you of your sin Okay? It really does. Just because you come to faith in Jesus doesn't mean you're sinless. But now, because we are different, because we have been changed from the inside, we are no longer sinners in the legal sense of the term. We are now the righteousness of Hashem. We are different. We are new creatures. This is what the Bible teaches us. And you can read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 21. And because we are now the righteousness of God because we are new creations, creations, we are new from the inside out, we are now free to pursue following Hashem without the threat of death for disobedience. Isn't that wonderful? Oh yeah, that's something to rejoice about. We're still going to sin. But we have an advocate for when we sin. And that doesn't give us a license to sin, but it means that as we fall, we pick ourselves back up, we run into the forgiveness of Hashem, and we keep going with serving Hashem. To be sure, the Torah spelled certain death, for some people who um, were, were repeatedly disobedient and for some disobedient acts committed by people who are supposed to be covenant members. Read uh, Exodus 31, 12-18, where you'll see where the example is given of Sabbath violation. To the, to the ostensible covenant member who was a repeated offender, he repeatedly violated Sabbath with no remorse. God says, you know what? I'm going to cut you off. And in cutting you off, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, that's what God said. It's because the person repeatedly violated God's covenant and spurned his covenant, spurned his promises and his blessings, and ultimately God says, fine, you want to be outside of the covenant? Well, then I'm just going to give you what you're asking for. You're out, buddy. All right, so now, um, in case you think, well, that's just an Old Testament feature, look again, even the New New Testament, the New Covenant scriptures, a.k.a. the Abri the Apostolic scriptures, even they teach, quote, the wages of sin is death. That's right. So it's consistent across the board, across both covenants. However, what I want you to understand, and again, most of this is just standard Christian theology, what I want us to understand is that now that Yeshua's atoning death, um, now that he, we've been redeemed, um, death... Well, let me say it this way. Now Yeshua's atoning death has redeemed us from the curse of the law, if I could pull a quote from Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 from the KJV. The curse of the law is no longer over us. In that sense, we're no longer under the law. That's Paul's shorthand for saying we're no longer under the curse of the law. So we can, we can affirm, with perfect faith, that death and condemnation is no longer our wages. All right, According to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, as well as Romans 8, verse 1, we no longer have to um, worry about the threat of death and separation from God. Death in the body, big deal to to you know to 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 um how does paul put it to to um to live as Christ and to die as gain you know if you're alive great live for God, live for messiah but if you die don't worry it's a promotion you're being taken home all right. The Mosaic Covenant, now we've just explained the Abrahamic Covenant and related it to the example of the registration papers in our little incident. Now let's turn to the Mosaic Covenant and see where it applies. Obviously, you're making the connection. Now, the Mosaic Covenant somehow relates to the, uh, the trip where it's hot and where we get a flat tire. The Mosaic Covenant was added to or for the enjoyment of the promise that was already available through our own participation in the Abrahamic Covenant. you See how that works? The, the Mosaic Covenant gets added to the Abrahamic Covenant not to compete with the Abrahamic Covenant or to cancel out the Abrahamic Covenant, but rather to complement and in some cases to even help facilitate the promises spelled out in the Abrahamic Covenant. So the Mosaic Covenant became our owner's manual in the example above, providing blessing Maintenance and enjoyment of promise to our lives. Okay, we're we're out and about in life's a uh, journey, and we we're we're gonna get life's share of flat tires and, and hot days. where do we turn for for um, enjoyment, blessing, maintenance of such um, uh, um, calamities? Well, we turn to the pages of God's words, which is the blueprint for living, blueprint for living a saved life. That's what the Mosaic Covenant is all about. Let's pull a quote here from Ariel Devora's book on Torah Rediscovered that I mentioned in Part C. If you look at the footnote to number 17, this is from Torah Rediscovered FFOZ Publications of 1996, page 32. Quote, For those who trust Hashem for the promises, the proper order for faith and obedience is set by the sequence in which the covenants were given. In other words, faith must precede obedience. But the kind of faith accepted by Hashem is one which naturally flows into obedience. True obedience never comes before faith, nor is it an addition to faith. It is always the result of true biblical faith. End quote. I don't even need to comment on what they said there. It's just just self-explanatory. Very good uh, quote there. So what we're trying to say is this, and let me just go back to my own commentary. Torah observance, I said this earlier, it's a matter of the heart. It always has been, and it always will be. God wants our heart. God wants our minds. And in writing His words on our heart, like Jeremiah teaches us, He knows that the Spirit, the agency of the Spirit, is going to empower us to walk into His words. The Torah proper, the first five books of Moshe, it instructed the people of Israel, both Jews and Gentiles, to what? To love Adonai your God with all their heart, all your being and all your resources. That's Deuteronomy 6 5. Of course, that's part of the Shema that we read twice a day, or sometimes more than twice a day. This, this loving God, is where Shomer Mitzvot begins. Remember the quote from uh, Deuteronomy? Fear the Lord and love Him. Yirat Adonai, fear of the Lord. Ahavat Adonai, loving the Lord. Fearing God leads to, to, to loving Him. Loving God leads to obeying Him. It's quite simple. And it's possible not because of something that we can manufacture within ourselves, but it's possible because of the grace of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit within us. Shomer mitzvot begins by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. That's right. If you want to press into God, if you want to accept God, if you want to love God, if you want to fear God, you want to obey God you got to follow God's rules. This means we cannot make up some um, supposed teaching as Jews that says because we're Jews, God has to accept us. God is not obligated to accept us just because we're Jews. Conversely, from the Christian point of view, it does not mean that if we just go to church, pray, read our Bible, and generally be good, that God is also obligated to accept us. Perfunctory, uh, 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 perfunctory uh, how do I put it, um, perfunctory observance of, of the Bible or of Torah commands does not obligate God to accept you. Conversely, um, being born Jewish or converting to Judaism does not obligate, automatically obligate God to accept you. We have to, we have to do it on God's terms. And what does that mean? By this, I mean accepting His means, God's means, of covenant obedience. God explains covenant obedience. God outlines covenant obedience. God details covenant obedience. And this is all found within the pages of his covenant. And so for today, what does that mean? It means acceptance of Yeshua, his only son, for Jew and for non-Jew alike. In closing, let me just say it this way. Covenants require a response on the part of the follower. Okay? God gives a covenant because he expects a response. God does not just give a covenant so that we can sit still and not act. His word will not return to him void. God's word is sent to us so that we can interact and react with God's words. It demands a response. Whether the response be obedience or disobedience, whether the response be faith or lack of faith, one of the two is what we're going to fall into. Moshe put it well, choose life or choose death. Those are God's words. Those are God's terms. Every man who has ever lived and every man who is ever going to live is faced with one of those two choices. Are we going to accept God, or are we going to reject God? Either way, it's a, it's a response. Wouldn't you agree? Now, Hashem, for His part, has provided the promise of inheritance for all those who participate in the Abrahamic Covenant. We're coming full circle to uh, Leviticus chapter 26 and to the uh, the details spelled out in the Tlchacha, the blessings and the cursings. Okay? God, for his part, provides the promise of inheritance. He extends the promise to us, and the extension is made for all who will participate in the Abrahamic covenant. In other words, for everyone who will have faith in God, surrender to God um, through the grace of God, then the Abrahamic covenant gets extended to them, and thus the promises are received by those participants. The response then to this covenant, the, the covenant of the, with, made with Abraham, is faith. That's the proper response, I might add, okay? The proper response is faith. Unfortunately, not everyone will respond in, in like manner. And for those who don't respond, then God has no choice but to extend condemnation, because that's the terms of the covenant. In one sense, you could say that everyone in the world is in covenant with God, whether they know it or not, because we are God's creation, we are God's creating, we are His making. And so because he made us, he has a right to covenantally bring us into his presence at the end of life or to covenantally um, send us away from his presence at the end of life. So in one sense, in, the, in that limited scope, everyone's in covenant with God already. But what I'm trying to talk about now is the free choice that we make to embrace God's ways. And in that sense, we enter into the um, fullness of the covenant with God. The nature of the Mosaic Covenant, by comparison, is blessing maintenance and enjoyment of promise okay notice that the abrahamic covenant the nature of that is promise of inheritance and the nature of or, and or faith but the nature of the mosaic covenant is blessing maintenance and enjoyment of the promise the mosaic covenant actually anticipates that the participant uh, anticipates that the participant has faith in abraham for all who wish to participate in the Mosaic Covenant, the proper response to this covenant is obedience. Okay? They work in tandem. Faith plus obedience. Abraham plus Moses. It's that easy. If you think about it in the way I'm describing it, it really is that easy. God gives us the faith through God gives us through by grace, God gives us the faith to have a right relationship with him. He provides us by his sending His Son Yeshua into our lives and the Holy Spirit um, making us alive. And in doing so, we are then poised to be able to walk into obedience. However, let's bring this full circle for the for the people in our Torah portion, in Leviticus chapter 26. It's not so easy for the original hearers of the blessings and the curses of Leviticus chapter 26. It was not that easy, I should say. It is just as easy, in my opinion, for them as it is for us today. However... For some reason, they didn't think it was that easy. For as history of the Torah will graphically demonstrate, an entire generation failed to understand God's important message. And as a result, they were forced to die in the wilderness before even reaching the promised land of inheritance. Oy vei. We're going to read about the um, this punishment uh, coming up in Numbers chapter 14. They should have walked in to the covenants. They should have seen that God's promises made to Abraham were promises of inheritance, of a land that would be theirs, if they would but place their faith in the God of the giver of the Torah and the God of the giver of the promises. But instead they chose lack of faith and disobedience and God for His part had to send an entire generation into the wilderness, to wander around until their bones dropped into the sand. And that is a shame. There's a lesson for us here today, okay? It's a very important lesson indeed. This idea of commandment keeping, I'm speaking to the 21st century people today. This idea of commandment keeping, it's a state of mind as well as a daily function. It's inner as well as outer. We should never, ever, ever fall for the age-old compulsory reasons for keeping the commandments of Hashem. What are those compulsory reasons? Legalism. For, for the sake of, of earning some sort of... Um, a meritorious favor with God, brownie points. Okay, for for puffing ourselves up, for, for moving up the uh, the community ladder. All right, keeping the Torah, legalism, keeping the Torah for the sake of salvation or merit without Hashem, uh, making yourself better than your fellow man in the eyes of Hashem. It is simply not scriptural. Okay, to be sure, it is a misuse of the Torah itself. And I I I I warn you, the Torah has warned us. God is not obligated to bless you if this is your view of the Torah. If this is your view of the Torah, that it somehow makes you better than everyone else. This is the challenge. God is obligated to keep His part of the agreement by withholding His hand of blessing. If you have this view of His gracious laws and His gracious ways, He graciously gives us His Torah so that we can be blessed. We can walk into His Torah with faith and under the power of the Holy Spirit that He's given freely to us. And if we fail to learn this important lesson, then God is obligated, just like Leviticus chapter 26 teaches us, to withhold the blessing from us. And as a result, the curses are going to be released into our life as we spurn God's ways and become disobedient to the words of God. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It is a natural action of ours, urged on and empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit within us. It is the result from having the Torah placed on our inward parts as new creations in Messiah. Yeshua is the Messiah promised in the Torah. We surrender to Him. Becoming Torah obedience is not something that we can manufacture in and of ourselves. It is not something we do to become saved. It is something we do because we are saved. Amen? Amen. And with that, it is customary after after the completion of a book of the Torah to say, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazek, which being interpreted is, Be strong, be strong and let us be strengthened. And with that, I bring my commentary to Parashat Pachukotai to a close. The closing blessing for the Torah portion is as follows. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu Torah temet vechaye olam nata b'tochenu. Baruch Adonai noten ha Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe you've given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com or visit our website at graftedin.com that's graftedin.com